0: If you have a copy of the Bible, open it up, turn it on to the first chapter of Nehemiah, which is in your Old Testament. If you didn't know that, it's near the um, kind of the first quarter or third of your Old Testament, past all the books of Moses, First and Judges, Joshua, First and Second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, heading towards the book of Psalms, you'll find the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll get there in just a minute. I mentioned a few minutes ago when I was standing here that uh, this is a, you know, one year anniversary of our commitment to engage our, our, our community more earnestly really, in the mission of reaching people who don't know the gospel message, right? That's what the REACH initiative is about. And I would say to you as we sort of enter our sophomore year, so to speak, of this effort, it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require more from every single one of us, right? If we really want to see God advance the mission of this church into this community, into this world, it's going to require more uh, from us if we want to be successful, Right. and I use that word uh, on purpose because often we use that we think of that word successful but it doesn't belong in church you know because it's one of those words that's sort of been you know taken by you know the world so to speak and and, 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 you know, made to mean something very narrow that kind of rubs us the wrong way sometimes, like the word ambition maybe, right? And we say, well, what it means to be successful is to be self-focused you know, and self-absorbed, and, you know, it's, it's about personal advancement, and that's really not what, you know, it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? And I would agree with you there, but the word success, if our priorities are right, right, If it's not all about me and advancing my agenda or all about you and advancing your personal agenda, right? The word success is actually a Bible word. We'll see it in this context today. If our priorities are right personally and corporately, they're in line with God's will for our lives, uh, for our church, well, then success is something that we ought to strive for. Uh, We ought to strive for, and you'll see that as we look at this Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Now, in the context of this book, we'll have a lot to say, so I don't want to overdo it this morning. But it's, you might say it's, at the, it's, it's in the first third of your Old Testament, but really chronologically, the book of Nehemiah, what's going on with Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, this period, it really falls at the very end of your Old Testament, right? It's pretty much, they call the the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament the silent period where there were no prophets. God did not send out any prophets. The nation had fallen into exile. It was sort of this quiet period that seemed as if, you know, the lights were out. That the, 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 the experiment, the the experience of God doing something through a people, in this case the Jewish people, kind of had failed. It had fallen silent, and they call it the silent period until the birth of Jesus. Okay? But so there was four hundred years of silence, but right up to that period, the the actual record of the new of the Old Testament, you know, chronology, the end of it would be Nehemiah, more or less, right? So although it finds itself in the early part of your um, Bible, because the history books are, are in the first part of your Bible, think of this at the end of the Old Testament experience, and it is in some ways a low point in the history of the people of God. They had, the the, the nation of Israel had been um, um, conquered, the temple had been burned, that's why they're rebuilding the walls, the city had been let, been decimated, they'd been thrown into exile, the people of God, and then they're allowed, some of them to come back, a very humble uh, a return, and what you have near the end of your Old Testament is the nation of Israel and all of the Indicators was a shadow of what it once was at its height under David. I mean, it was the, it was the, it was, the contrast could hardly be sharper between the, the height of the monarchy when there was great power, there was great uh, military, there was great even material success, the throne of David, the throne of Solomon. It was this great empire, this great monarchy, and then 500 years later or so, as you get to the end of the Old Testament record, the people of God are a shadow of themselves, much smaller, much humbler, uh, in many ways um, discouraged, as we'll see, and um, defeated. But, ironically, God here does some of his very best work when the people of God have been humbled when the people of God have been stripped of the things we tend to put our confidence in and it is here uh, that we see, we can learn a lot, I think, in our own situation about what God is doing in the life of our church. Because what you see in this moment, now we know it because of hindsight, but you could look at this humble gathering of people in ancient Jerusalem, which was a shadow of itself, and the people of God were much smaller, and nobody was seeking the wisdom of Solomon. No one, no one even knew who David was. This was a long time after that. Other powers were central in world history. Syria and Babylon, Greece and Rome. It was a a whole different world. However, the irony is the greatest work of the people of God did not lie behind them under David, under Solomon, under Moses, under Abraham. The greatest work that they would do was actually ahead of them. We know that because one of the central purposes of the nation of Israel was to bring forth the Messiah, Jesus, right? So even though they were humble, their greatest work lied before them. I would say to you, why are we studying this book? I think the same is true for our church, or it could be. That as great as God has uh, used this church in its many, many years in this community, I think the greatest work lies ahead of us, and I think we can learn some very important truths as we look at this story, the story of Nehemiah. So read with me, As just by way of introduction this morning, this series, Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll read the whole chapter. It's short, 11 verses. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Ancient Persia. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive to your eye and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then, even if you are exiled people In the presence of this man, I was cupbearer to the king. The first thing that I think we can learn about our situation from this situation, what we can learn about what it means to be the people of God today from this leader who's trying to lead the people of God in his day, is the importance of defining your reality, right? This is what great leaders do, right? It's what great, it's what great um, business leaders do. It's what parents do. Those of you who have kids, right? You want to define reality. It's, it's, it's okay, I suppose, that, you know, it's, at a certain time, maybe uh, I'm looking at Jack who's kids who, who raised a couple athletes, right? It's, I suppose there's a time when your when you're kid's seven, if he wants to play in the NHL, you want to encourage that, right? But there comes a time, right? Where maybe, you know, if, if you're, you know, uh, four feet eight, your kids aren't that short, but anyway, you're not going to play in the NBA, right? Or whatever the case may be, right? There's a time to define, parents define reality, coaches define reality. Listen, churches, spiritual leaders ought to define reality. Nehemiah does that, right? He doesn't want to, uh, he, he doesn't want to, um, you know, sugarcoat it. Verse three. Those who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace, right? First of all, it's the people. I'm going to be honest. The people of God who, by the way, Nehemiah never, as far as we know, he was born, lived his whole life in in Cushy Babylon. He is Jewish, but he never grew up here, right? The the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem was 100 years old or more. But Nehemiah certainly knows about his people. And he hears the report and he says, listen, they're in great trouble and disgrace. They're not eating the kind of food you're eating. They're not sleeping in the kind of bed you're sleeping in. And in, there's great security risks. There's great conflict. There's real peril here. It's a reality. And their walls are broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. Okay? Nehemiah wanted to define reality. But I would say this to you as we think about our own church. It was much more uh, this, this challenge, this, this truth than a capital project, and it was a capital project, right? The book of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of the walls of the ancient city of Jerusalem. But what is stressed in this prayer, and there's so much to be learned, and I hope that you will think about it beyond this morning and from this prayer, what well, you can learn about prayer from this man of God. What is stressed is not the broken walls, right? but the broken commandments, right? Verse seven. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses, right? This is what's behind it. Yes, the walls were broken down, and yes, they represented something. They once represented the God of Israel. They once represented the creator of the universe. They once were part of, along with the temple, along with the city of Jerusalem, a, a, a message that went out to the world about the glory of God It was important to rebuild them. But Nehemiah has to start with himself, Right? I, including myself and my father's family, we got to get real. We got to define reality. And the reason these walls are broken, the reason our hearts are broken, right? We are in great trouble and disgrace is not simply because we found the wrong enemy. Is not simply because someone happened to, you know, have a laser bomb that hit the wall. It wasn't because of some great military prowess. It was because of our own broken commandments with God, right? That's the reason. Let's get real about it. That's what Nehemiah wants to say. And let me say what he's saying here, too, Very, uh, again, by introduction. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws. He doesn't get into too specific here, but I would say this. What Nehemiah is saying, this, sin, certainly he's talking about sin. He's confessing it in verse 6 and 7. Sin is not simply the things that we do wrong. That is certainly true. I can think, you know, whether it's, it's disobeying, doing things that I shouldn't do, that I know I shouldn't do and do, that's sin. But what you see Nehemiah saying here is not simply doing things wrong. It's the right things that we know we should do, but we simply don't do them, right? This is really what is at stake here. Does God care about my moral lapses and your moral lapses? I think he does, right? But what you see going on here, what does Nehemiah say here? Lord God of heaven and earth who keeps a covenant of love. Listen, it's about a relationship with God. And what's really at stake here, the reason these walls are broken down, the reason there's such disgrace, the reason there's broken hearts in the, in the people of God, in the purposes of God, is not simply because they broke some of the laws. It's because God had called them to do certain things, right? And they had decided not to do them, to worship him, to serve him. And instead, they just, uh, you know, looked the other way. They satisfied themselves. They did not do, keep God's laws. They did not obey his commands. They did not worship him. And as a result, their walls were broken and so were their hearts Doing the right things means keeping your commitments. It means sharing your faith. It means this. It means giving God your very best. That's really what's at stake. Giving God your very best. Five times in this passage, the word servant is mentioned, right? Even even the end of the prayer, he twice he calls himself Lord. Let your attentive, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and your servants. The end of verse eleven, give your servant success today. Let me say something about this word. It does not. It's not a demeaning word. When he calls himself the servant of God, it's not a demeaning word. It's a word of honor. And how do I know that? Verse eight. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. What it means to be the servant of God is it's a special status. It's about serving God's purposes. It's about obeying his commands and keeping his decrees. Listen, we haven't done that, right? It's like when, you know, it's like you've called the the, the term, you know, the secretary of state or the secretary of of defense or, you know, the secretary of commerce. These aren't demeaning terms. Those are very important offices. What it meant to be a servant of God was a very important thing. And he wants to redeem that word as you and I need to redeem that word. And see, the salvation that we have been given, this is what's true in Nehemiah's day and in ours, it comes with a purpose. And that purpose is to make the name of God known to people who don't know him. And the reason their hearts were broken, verse 3, the reason the walls were broken, verse 3, is because the people of God had failed to do that. Right? They had failed in their primary calling to make the name of God known to the world. That's what it was all about. That's what it's always been all about. Way back even when Israel was nothing, he said to Abraham, who nobody knew, who was a 90-plus-year-old man, who was just nobody, and he said, listen, I'm gonna bless those who bless you, right, and through you, this one person, all the nations of the earth will be blessed it was always the purpose to make God's name known it's also our purpose and my challenge to you this morning and these weeks is listen I want you to give God your very best and I say give God your very best by investing in the ministry of this church right Investing your time, investing in community, investing in sharing your faith, investing in, finance, in the ministry of the church. But let me say something. It's not for me. Don't do it for me. Do it for him, right? It's about making God's name known and in a way do it for yourself because this is what I think Nehemiah discovers and I think you'll discover. Life's greatest pleasure, Right? Life's greatest pleasure is not money. It's not fame. It's not comfort. Life's greatest, it's not even family. Life's greatest pleasure is serving God with the gifts that he is giving you. And that's true individually, and that's true as a church. And that's what we can learn from the, ne- from the book of Nehemiah. The question, if you have your small group God, if you're in your small groups, let me just highlight it quickly. The second question what can you observe and learn about the prayer of this godly man? There's, there's a whole series of things. Let me just tell you quickly what I think I've learned from the prayer of this God. What, what is the what, what do we see in this prayer? We see a couple, four things at least. One, spiritual cleansing, right? Spiritual cleansing, that's what prayer is for. Two, there's a sense of an inner peace. Third, there's a new strength that comes in prayer and a new confidence, Right? This is what it's about, to, to renew our commitment with God. Yes, it's about spiritual cleansing. That's what this is about, right? The gospel's not a one-off, it's a way of life, right? I need spiritual cleansing every day of my life. I need, I need a stronger commitment to a peace that passes understanding every day of my life. I need God's strength, and I need a new sense of confidence to do what God has called me to do and what we God has called us to do as a church, So the first thing we learned from Nehemiah, again by way of introduction, is we need to define our reality. I just want you to think about this week your own life, the context of your small group. Right? Define your where is your walk with God? Where is your engagement in God's in the ministry? that he's called you to because whether you are a student, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. All are called. All have been gifted. God has given us something to do and it's only in doing what it is that God has called you to do, like your servant Moses, that you're going to find the purpose and satisfaction that God has discovered, or purposed, I should say, for your life. So one is to find your real life. Number two, you see in this passage, again, thing we can learn from Nehemiah, is we need to remember or bring to our memory God's promises, right? God's promises. There's two things in this prayer quickly as it concerns God's promises that Nehemiah does that I think that you and I can do. If we practice it, it can change your life, day-to-day basis, and it can change the life of our church. The first thing, notice, in this prayer, right? is he starts not with himself, but with God. Lord, the God of heaven, right? The great and awesome God. Listen, he's gonna confess his sin. He's gonna get to that point and say, listen, I got a real problem. We have a great problem here. And our problem is, whether it's my personal problem, which is I've sinned against you, verse 6 and 7, or our corporate problem, that we have so failed in our calling that we are, we are this, this city's in a shambles. It's a shadow of itself. Our military is gone. Our military is discouraged. Our worship life is almost non-existent, right? We are a shambles. He's defining reality. And there are real threats. We have corporate threats. We'll see this in the book. The people of God. There's a real threat to their existence. But Nehemiah doesn't start with the problem. This is where our problem is. That's why many of us are, remain, let's to use the word of ver, the verse 3, we remain in great trouble and in disgrace. Why our prayer lives in many ways are so ineffective? Because we start with our problems, Right? It's, it's, dear God, I'm in trouble, help me. Dear God, my family's in trouble, help us. Dear God, the, the sky is falling. I can't get into this opportunity. I can't get that opportunity. Help me, help me, help me. And listen, God wants to help you. But Nehemiah doesn't start with himself. He, he starts with heaven. Lord God of heaven. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. He says, listen, I'm going to take my problems, personal problems, even my sin, my corporate problems as leader, and I'm going to put them in the context of an almighty God, number one, that God is so powerful, he's so mighty, and number two, a God who has a covenant of love, Right? This is a child who says, listen, I'm in trouble. I failed the test. I did the wrong thing. I blew it. But I'm going to come to my mother and father, the prodigal son, who have everything and say, mom and my dad, you know, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you've done. This is what Nehemiah is doing, right? He starts not with himself, not with his problem, but he starts with God, number one. Number two... This is the heart of this passage, I think. He reminds God of the promises that he has made. This is what it really means to walk with God. And by the way, why I say to you guys over and over again, it's not just because I'm, you know, it's pastor speak, that you need to study and know God's word, right? Because it's an interactive. It's, it's, it's the, Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is sharp as a two-edged sword. It's, it's, it's living, it's alive, And it it, it discerns your thoughts and intents of your heart. It's a a living, powerful reality that you are supposed to um, claim and engage with. And it's how God changes your life. And part of the way he does that is we have to remind God. We call God and say, listen, you said it. I remembered it. And I'm asking you now to deliver on your promises in my life. See, what Nehemiah does, if I had time, maybe if you have a good study Bible, verses 8, 9, and 10, he basically quotes almost verbatim promises that come out of the book of the Deuteronomy that are a thousand years old. He says, listen, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. Isn't this some interesting? Usually God's telling you what to remember. This guy has the, 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 the you know, the, the chutzpah, right, to say, listen, God, let me tell, let me, let me bring to mind what you said, what you promised, what you said to your servant Moses, right, back in the Deuteronomy is this. Yes, we might make mistakes and we will therefore be scattered among the nations. And that's exactly what happened. We disobeyed you. We didn't do the right things we knew that we should have done. And as a result, we were scattered all over the nations. The nation was, was basically decimated. But you also said, Deuteronomy chapter 30, that if we simply humbled ourselves if we got real if we defined our reality and we turned our hearts back to you that you would bring us back you would restore your favor you would make us even better than we were before right he reminds God of his promises do you do that do I do that right now some of you we 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 get this even if we don't practice it right you know, it's like parents. If your parents, if you have, you know, and, and your your uh, your your daughter says to you, maybe, Dad, you know, uh, uh, can I uh, go out on a, a date with uh, my boyfriend or something? And you know, and maybe your dad instinctively you say, well, listen, when you, honey, when you're 16, you know, when they're 12, you can do that, you know. And of course, you're thinking, well, they'll forget about it, right? And then at 16, your daughter goes, Dad. I'm 16, and you say, well, honey, did I really say that? Um, what I meant to say is when you're 18, right? Or when you're, you're, you know, your, your, your son says to you, I've heard this, you know, you know if you get, uh, parents say to their kids, listen, if, if you can hold a 3.5 GPA in your sophomore year at college, let's say, then we will buy you, your mother and I will buy you an, an automobile of your own. Wow, right? Dad, a kid will never do it, right? You know, three point five. Dad, here's my three point five. Uh, here's my report card. Where's my new car? And he goes, well, what I meant to say, son, was, if you get three point five, you can drive my car. Okay, I have this friend, um, good friend, uh, been friends for, for a long time, and and he has three girls. And now they're adults, young adults. But when they were young, two of them were, were good athletes. One was a tennis player, one was a golf, uh, played golf, his, his, two of his girls. And he, he used to always say to them, you know, he, he says, if you win this tournament, when there would be a big tournament, golf or tennis, if you win this tournament, I will buy you a Corvette. It was just like a joke that went on for years, and I said to him, I said, John, I said, did did your girls ever, you know, I mean, did they ever call you on that ever? And he said, no, they, no. He goes, no. They, he said, they knew there was no way I was ever going to buy them a Corvette, right? They, they knew that that wasn't real. But you know what? That's the way many of us treat God, sad, right? Many of us, either we don't know the promises of God or if we do know them, we don't actually claim them. Because we really don't believe that God is going to deliver on them anyway. But see, Nehemiah, he didn't, that wasn't the way he rolled. He said, listen, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses? He said, When Moses was in trouble, the the actual quotation he's making here is when the golden calf experience happened. And God, if you read that carefully, uh, uh, that passage, Exodus 32, Deuteronomy, it's recovered in the book of Deuteronomy, God says, listen to Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. They're disobedient. They never do the right thing. They've given over to idolatry. I want to start all over again with you. God had said, we're going to, the nation of Israel was on the verge of extinction. And Moses said, God, you said, right? And he goes ahead and and, and he calls God on this promise. And through Moses' advocacy, God spares the nation of Israel. And what Nehemiah says is he has the, as I say, the courage, he has the conviction to say, listen, what was true of Moses is true in my day we're on the verge of extinction too. And God, you did it in the past. Like I said, there's a prayer, a great prayer in Habakkuk Habakkuk chapter three. It says, God, I've heard of your fame. I've seen your great deeds. Do in my day what you've done in the past. Have you ever said that to God in your life? God, do you did it for this person. You did it for that person. I've seen you do it even in the history of the scriptures. Do in my life, do in our church what you've done other places. Have you prayed that prayer? And if you haven't, why not? Because you don't believe God can deliver on us. Now, you come up with some other great excuse. You'll, 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 you'll throw yourself under the bus. I'll throw myself under the bus. But the real issue is here. Nehemiah is not talking about his own great sterling character. He says, I have sinned and my fathers have sinned. I'm, I'm not gonna mince my words. I'm not gonna pretend I'm something better than I am. But I'm gonna say this, oh great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. You've done great things in the past. Remember your servant Moses, I'm your servant too. Can you do it again, right? Can you do it again? This If you have this thing in front of you. What is one challenge you are facing during this season in your life? What are some of the challenges we face today in our desire to grow as a church? Do you and I have the courage to find God's promises and say, well, you did it for them, can you do it for me? Right? And do we have the courage in the ch- as a church? Because right? there's so many of them. I'm not talking about you know, you know, uh, gold and silver and Cadillacs. I'm not talking about silly stuff like that. I'm talking about peace, I'm talking about power, I'm talking about influence with, 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 the, with the world and in the community. That's what I'm talking about. If we want to get our priorities right, let me tell you, God has, there's nothing more than God would desire than to bless your life. Do you really believe that? But see, that, just like the word success, that word means nothing to us. Blessing means, you know, self-satisfaction. Blessing means, you know, things that are superficial. But blessing is a word you need to realize. You need to, we need to redefine uh, uh, re, re, uh, that word. We need, to, we, need to, we need to recapture its meaning. God wants to bless your life. God wants you to be successful. God wants us to be successful. If our priorities are right, right? If our priorities are right. And if your priorities are right and my priorities are right and our priorities are right. Listen, God, this is what he says. But you said... If your people will do what you say, even if they're from the farthest horizon, I will gather them there and bring them to a place. And this is a, sh- a shorthand. If you read the whole context, he says, listen, I'll open up heaven and I'll pour out blessings that you can't handle. That's what he says. Isaiah, uh, uh, Psalm 81.10, one of my favorite verses of scripture, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Right? This is what God says. But do you believe that? Do I believe that? We need to define reality. That starts. That's the first point of the gospel. Right, Keith? I'm a sinner. I'm broken. Who am I kidding? But then I need to remember the promises of God, right? That he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins so that you could know the forgiveness of sins, so that you could know a whole new way of life. And he said, listen, now, if you get yourself out of the way, he that he that you know, uh, 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 denies his own himself and picks up his cross and follows me and you get a real ambition and a real vision for life, if you're willing to pick up the purposes and be my servant, let me tell you something. We'll do great things together, right? We'll do great things together. We need to remember God's promises. And lastly, what specific step of faith do you need to take today, right? This is where I wanted you to leave as this, I hope as you talk about this as a small group, because this is is where it gets really, um, where the rubber meets the road and why I chose the book of Nehemiah. It's one thing to identify the problem, right? But it's more than identifying the problem, it's about taking action, right? See, we are so good, some of us, pastors are good at this, right? Now, I'll tell you what your problem is, now how you're going to do anything with it, you know, I, god help you, right? We're very good at identifying problems. Politicians, too. But you know what? It's about taking action. And this is where this ends. So admire this. He says, "Listen, I'm going to define reality, I'm going to claim your promises, but that's not the end. It's not a sermon." He says, listen, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. It's very specific. See, Nehemiah, once his heart is changed through prayer, right? He gets, he really, what what matters to God matters to him and then he sees his life differently. He sees his life differently. In the context of God's purpose, he says, listen, it's very clear. It's, it's in sharp relief. Now, I can see what God is calling. I can see that my life, even though I'm 1,200 miles from this trouble and I live in a very cushy life, I'm in a unique position to do something that nobody else can. And that's true of every single person in this room, if you have eyes to see it. What does it mean for us? Well, it means that we need to realize that we, we, we need to, it's about spending our time differently. How does God want you to sacrifice your time? How does he want you to leverage your positions? There's things that some of you could do that I could never do with other people. We talked about this last Sunday. To use your time, to leverage your position, to invest in your relationships, to invest in your resources, whatever God has given you, right? Every single one of us have a specific thing or things we can do to serve God and his purposes. The question is, are we open to it, Okay? Now, we're gonna take communion. Let me just look at a verse, I'm way over time, as we prepare for this table. But I want you to think about what step God wants you to take. But let me just read this one verse. 2 Corinthians 5, verses um, 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. This is the gospel. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. This was the, this was the, the, the moment Nehemiah was having. Should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is what this is about, right? It's about realizing, listen, the covenant of love, God has met your deepest needs if you have eyes to see it. And he's called you and he's called us not to simply live. We've died to the small things of this life. We should have. We've died to the things of this world. Not so that we can you know, live some little squeaky quiet life often in, in a corner so that we can give ourselves for something much greater, right? And so we can give ourselves for him who died for us. So as we share this table, hold on to these elements, we'll take them together. Ask yourself this question, right? What step is God calling you to take today? Where do you need to define your reality? And what promises might you need to remind God about in your own life? Let's take the elements, we'll hold them and take them together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these minutes. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. I pray, Lord, that you would Open our hearts, open our minds as we share in this table to be reminded of what you have already done for us and, Lord, what you want to still do in us and with us. And I just pray you would use these minutes. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.